We are here meeting again live after 90 days. 90 days of being uh, shelter in place with COVID. And we did have church online. So the church certainly wasn't closed, but these physical doors were closed. But now the doors are open again, and now we have dual church. So we have church with our live family right here, and we also have church joining us online. So whichever you are, welcome and good morning. And we give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. So thank you all for uh, joining us here as we worship our great God. I'm going to open up with a word of prayer and get right into the message. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, just a reminder, you know, uh, we've had 90 days of shelter in place in this COVID, and now we're able to meet again live. But at the same time, because of the terrible, tragic death of George Floyd, it unleashed uh, a lot of anger and hatred and rage in our country. And our country's in a mess right now. And there's violence all over the place, and there's chaos, and there's anarchy. And we need to pray for our country. So will you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you because you are a great and awesome God. You are greater and stronger and higher than any other. You're the only true God. And so we worship you this morning. We thank you that by your grace, we're able to gather again in this house of worship at Sebastopol Christian Church. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy to be able to do that. Lord, your mercies are new every morning, and we count on that. Father, we do lift up our nation to you. Lord Jesus, uh, you tell us in your word, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Lord, that's our prayer for America right now. We pray for the peace of Christ to reign in the heart of every person. We pray for an end to the violence. We pray for an end to the rioting and the looting and the destruction of property and the harming of human being against human being. Lord, we, we're reminded of your command to us to love one another as you have loved us, so we are to love one another. So, Lord, we pray for an end to this violence. We pray for a restore, a restoration of order and an end to the chaos. Lord, uh, you can do that. Your spirit can um, work powerfully in the hearts of your people. And, Lord, we pray that everybody who names the name of Jesus becomes a peacemaker and not a peacebreaker. Lord, help that to happen today. Lord, as your uh, word is proclaimed today, as this message is uh, given, we pray for the, the clarity of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and rule and reign in our hearts and fill us with your love and your joy and your peace and your patience. Lord, help us to gain insight as to your will for our lives and help me to declare this message with passion, with clarity, and in accordance with your word. And we lift up these prayers to you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. We're in a new series. Uh, we're in our second week of it. It's called Jesus in Plain Sight. Now, it's interesting when you say Jesus in plain sight. I, I, I love this graphic because it's, it, you can see Jesus clearly, but it's also not as, as obvious as it could be. So he's hidden there somewhere in that graphic. The idea is that as you go through the Gospels, and you see people's lives and how they're interacting with Jesus, there are many people who did not understand who he is. 
They did not know he was the Son of God. They did not know that it was Messiah standing in front of him. Sometimes they would call him teacher. They would call him rabbi. But they did not really have a depth of understanding as to who Jesus really was. And we want to gain a greater understanding of who Jesus is. So we're going to be going through uh, passages and stories from Jesus' life and his ministry through the Gospel of Luke in the weeks ahead. And that's why it's called Jesus in Plain Sight. Now, what we're doing today is a message from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. It's the only place in all the Gospels where it has Jesus praying all night before he made an important decision. And so we're going to take that story and we're going to try to learn from Jesus and say, how do we make important decisions in our lives based upon the model of Jesus himself? Um, there's a lot of common advice out there, like how do you make a good decision? How do you make an important decision? You can always go with Yogi Berra. He says, whenever you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Yogi. That's really helpful. Uh, he had a number of those stains, right? It's deja vu all over again and things like that. <laughs> Yogi, they're yogiisms. I want to send Yogi back to Yellowstone, Jellystone National Park for that one. Um, what do you call Arnold Schwarzenegger when he makes a decision? Well, he becomes the determinator. There he is, the determinator, right? Now, there's a lot of worldly advice. Well, I, I looked it up on Google, making good decisions. And boy, did the images pop up. One of these that popped up, you probably can't see it online if you see the graphic, but it's this idea of five simple steps for decision making. And it says, you know, first identify that you have to make an important decision. Second, you need to think about all the different choices, the different options that there are around you. Third, you create a pro and con list. If I say yes to this decision, what are the pros? If I say no, what are the cons? Uh, number four, you try it out. And then number five, you reflect and evaluate. I've often said this, that sometimes you make a decision, but that's not the most important decision. It's the decision after the decision because you start to see, well, what are the consequences? What are the unintended consequences? You guys, we were, we were 90 days between meeting live. March 15th was, was the last time we were able to, able to gather together. So 90 days go by on a, what, what I remember back in the day in March was, well, we need to shelter in place, uh, stay at home for two weeks because we need to flatten the curve. And then after two weeks, it's like, okay, after that we should be okay. Well, we weren't okay. And two weeks became four weeks and four weeks became six weeks. And now here we are 12 weeks later and we're finally allowed to gather in place with restrictions. You guys see the, 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 the little marks in your pews, shelter in place, six feet apart. I don't think we have any problem doing that in the service today. We had a little more challenge for a service. But I'm so glad that you guys are here. It encourages me and encourages Lisa and all the staff that you guys are here with us, worshiping our great God together. Before you make a, a decision, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you need to make? Um, I wish I could say that every decision I made in life was good. Uh, I've made some good decisions. I've made some bad decisions. Let me share one of the bad ones. Um, I was a brand new youth pastor. I was right out of Christian college. I went to Hope International University down in Orange County. And I get out of there and I'm ready to work full time and go into the ministry. So this is 1986 and I got a job as youth and Christian ed director 
for Valley Christian Church in Chino, California, right? Chino, California. This was a place where the cows and the dairy were all over the place at that time, the 1980s. And depending on which way the wind blew, whoa, you knew it. You knew you were in cow country. If you ever travel the Interstate 5 and you go by Harris Ranch, you know what I'm talking about. They're like, ooh, what do you guys say with the kids? Ooh, 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 stinky, poo, poo, poo. Well, that smell was all around Valley Christian Church from time to time. And, but the church was great, and I started out there. So we had this high school group. Um, we had gotten about 20 people. We met on Wednesday nights for Bible study. And this is back in the 1980s. Did I play an instrument? No. Did I, could I lead worship? No. Uh, I don't, it, youth do so many different things now that we didn't have then. We didn't have the graphics. We didn't have the videos. We had me. <laughs> And I was the dog and pony show. So I was the guy who, who stood up there and did all the Bible study and the teaching and the questions and the games. And uh, one time, this was about three months into my ministry, one time one of the guys from our church comes up to me and he asks me if he can teach a lesson to the high schoolers. And I knew that he was a fellow student at Hope International. Um, he was a little bit behind me, but he was older than me age-wise. He started off later because he was in the military. So I, I look at him, and I'm like, he's a Hope International student. I know his girlfriend went to our church, so I'm thinking to myself, all right, we'll give him a shot. So we come up to that Wednesday night, and he, and I see him, he pulls up into his convertible Mustang. He had one of those souped-up cars, and uh, gets out of it, and he walks up, and I could just tell something wasn't quite right, because he was nervous, and he was fidgety, and he was like sweating, and you could just tell he was not happy to be there, but he was... It, it was taking everything he could to muster up the courage to, to follow through on this. And so it's Wednesday night, and we gather the kids in the room, and I introduce this guy, and he says, Jim, I'm so nervous right now. I can't take you in the room. If I see you in the back of the room, I'm just going to think you're going to be judging me. Um, please just, can you go outside the room and let me teach, him, uh, teach the kids while you're outside? And I'm like, okay. Like, duh. <laughs> So I go outside the room and I'm, I, I take a walk down the, you know, around the church building and I walk out into the parking lot and it's about 10 minutes later and I hear, I hear this car door open and shut and I look over across the parking lot and it's him, it's this teacher. And it's only 10 minutes later, he gets in his car, he revs up the engine, he had a souped up Mustang and he fires it up and he burns rubber all out of the parking lot and he and he's driving out of the parking lot he looks back to the room where the kids are and he flips them the bird and I'm looking at him like what just happened so I take off who's with the kids so I run over there to the room and I go in the room and it's just like chaos there everybody's talking and yelling you can't believe what just happened Mr. Sway it was actually Jim you can't believe what just happened and I said what happened he said well, this guy got started and somebody in the back of the room said something, you know, like you ever been in that classroom with a substitute teacher comes in and it's like, oh, we got a sub today, huh? All right, well, we're going to start working her or working him and seeing what we can get away with. So they tried that with this guy and he fell for every one of their deceptions and they started interrupting him and they would ask a question or they'd make a comment and he got so flustered he actually cussed them out and he, and he flipped them off and he left the room and he and he went out of the church 
And it'd be interesting to say I never saw the guy again. He actually came back to church, but he never taught another lesson to our youth group again. And it, well, yeah, I learned something there. So sometimes the, the lesson for me on that bad decision was you need to vet who you're going to have teach your kids in your youth group. You need to know who you're dealing with. And certainly when he asked me to leave the room, that was probably a huge red flag that I should not have given into. So there are just some bad decisions you made. I, I, maybe you could just pause and think about your own life. What, as you reflect on your own life, what was the worst decision that you ever made? The worst decision you ever made. I was like, oh, like sometimes I'm still paying for that. <laughs> or there's consequences. The fallout is usually a long time fallout of a bad decision. So I, I don't want to end there because I want to flip it and I would say, now think about this. What was the best decision you ever made? What was the best decision you ever made? And when I, I it's hands down, and I'm not saying it because, you know, I'm a pastor and I need to model a good marriage, but I, I can guarantee you the best, the best decision I ever made was to say yes to becoming the husband of Lisa K. Dye. And we've been married 35 years now, and she has totally blessed my life. Her family, uh, the way she mothers and grandmothers, I mean, it's just an awesome example to be around her. So hands down, best decision I ever made in my life. Jesus had a number of important decisions he had to make. He had to choose when he was going to walk down to the River Jordan to be baptized. He had to choose uh, who the disciples that he had around him, whom would he select to become his apostles? Because the, the fallout of that decision is humongous. Uh, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to choose whether he would really go to the cross or not for you and me. So before you make in a decision, a life-changing decision, what do you think you should do? Here's Jesus' big picture, right? So you think about Christ from the time he came to earth until the time he left to earth. He had some important decisions to make. First of all, deciding to become a human being, right? The Bible says in Philippians 2 that out of, out of humility, Jesus, though he was equal with God, yet he did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but Jesus emptied himself. And he emptied himself of a lot of those divine qualities, like being everywhere at the same time and being all-powerful all at the same time. He emptied himself of some of those divine qualities in order to become a human being so that he could walk among us and show us who and what God was like. Right? So that's why Jesus could say to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip said, hey, well, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll know that you're from God. And he says, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Right? So Jesus comes to earth in the incarnation. He has to train up and equip some followers. He knew that only three years from the time he began with his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and the religious leaders. They were going to reject him as Messiah. They were going to turn him over to the Roman government to put him to death on a cross. He knew that he was going to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. He knew that he was going to the grave. And by faith, he knew that the Father was going to raise him from the dead after he died. So he knew all that. And then uh, in John's gospel, Jesus says it very clearly. He says, I came from the Father and I am going back to the Father. 
right? Even when Jesus is praying in the, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, he says, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. I mean, does that, does Jesus, Jesus in plain sight, right? Does that tell you something about Jesus and who he really is? When you read the book of Revelation, you see Jesus for who he really is. When you see the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was, who was a normal human being, when his clothes became dazzling white and he started shining like the sun and Moses and Elijah come out of heaven to, to walk and talk with Jesus, you know that he's not just an ordinary human being. So Jesus knew that he was going to ascend into heaven. I can imagine his disciples, probably the, if you, if you were to poll his followers and you'd say, what was the biggest disappointment with Jesus? I would say him not telling us that this time that we were going to have with him was only going to last three years and then he was going to ascend into heaven and he was going to say, but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and then you're going to, and then you're going to carry on my kingdom work. And lo, I'll, I'll be with you always in spirit until the end of the world. I think those guys had it in mind. Jesus is only 30, 33 years old. We got a 40-year gig going on with Jesus for the next 40 years, and it's going to be awesome. It's just going to be like the kingdom of David, and Israel's going to rule the world again, and it's going to be so great. And Jesus is like, well, actually, I'm going back to the Father. Huh? Like, what? <laughs> Did I hear right? So he knew he was going to heaven. He knew he was going to send the Holy Spirit. So does that tell you how important the decision was who Jesus chose to become his apostles? Who would carry on the work after he left? Right? So let's go to Luke's gospel now. We're in chapter 6. And choosing the 12 apostles. It says this in, in Luke's gospel. One of those days... Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Have you, has any one of you ever been up all night praying with God? I never have by myself. I, yeah, you probably have. You're one of those people, one of those good people uh, who when you, when you have a decision to make, when you have something that's really on your heart, you seek the Lord in a deep way. It's another good reason. See, I told you, best decision I ever made. So, uh, but the only time that I spent all night praying with God was, at, was in Chile in South America, and it was at an all-night prayer vigil. Now, vigil, V-I-G-I-L. So in Spanish, it's called a vigilia. A vigilia was when, was when you get the whole church gathers, you have some food, you sing a lot of praise songs, you have a lot of scripture reading, and you have a lot of prayers. And the goal the goal is, and, and because they have it in their theology, what if Jesus returns tonight? What if the thief in the night is actually going to happen tonight? We will be ready. We will be, like, we will be like those virgins that have their oil lamps trimmed and ready to go. We're going to be ready for the return of Christ. We're going to be the first ones in the rapture, right? So they had this theology, and they invited me to join with them, and I just said, Lord, I know that I don't do well after one or two in the morning. Now, that was when I was in my 20s. Now, Lisa will say, Jim, you don't do well after 10 p.m. these days, right? 10 p.m. seems rather late anymore. That's not totally true, but it's true half the time. 
So anyway, but staying up all night. So for me, it wasn't just praying and seeing God do great and miraculous things. If he was going to answer all those prayers, wonderful. But the, the, honestly, the goal for me was could I stay up all night with this church praying and singing and fellowshipping and stuff. We made it till dawn. We had a light breakfast and they sent everybody home and I think I just got home and collapsed. Um, but it was, it was really good and it was interesting. So you think about Jesus, right? The Son of God, always in communion with the Father, never had broken fellowship with the Father, and yet he's praying all night to God. Why? Before he did what? Before the choosing of the 12, right? I told you before, Jesus, there were other times when he said, I need to pray before I make this move or I make this next step or this next decision. At his baptism, it says in Luke chapter 3, Jesus was praying, and while he prayed, that's when heaven was open. That's when the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. So an amazing thing happened. The Holy Spirit came and descended upon Jesus. That's when John the Baptist looked over and he said, there he is. There's the Lamb of God, and he's the one who takes away the sin of the world, right? So at his baptism in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, it says Jesus knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your, your will be done. This is the only other place where it has Jesus praying before he made a major decision. This is the only place where it says Jesus prayed all night, before he made this decision. So this is uh, incredibly important in Jesus' life. How important, excuse me, how important was this decision? Well, he's getting ready to choose his inner circle of leadership. These men were the men that were going to carry on Jesus' work, right? I told you how important this was. This would be a decision that would have ripple effects. This was, these 12 men or these 11 men, because you have to take away Judas, and whether you replace him with Matthias or with the Apostle Paul, depending on how you look at it. You know, these, these apostles, they would end up setting the DNA of the first generation of the church. That church where Jesus said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church that has lasted to this day. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. His body of Christ is still here. There are now two billion people on planet earth who name the name of Jesus. So this decision had huge ramifications for the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that he needed to get it right. And so verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And of the 12 disciples, now a disciple is a learner, a follower, but he gives a different name to these guys. He says, whom he also designated apostles. Mark's gospel in chapter 3 says so that these apostles might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and send them out to heal people of diseases and send them out to cast out demons. In other words, what Jesus was going to do in his ministry, he was sending them out to do in their ministry in imitation of their Lord and Messiah, right? Jesus had many followers, only 12 apostles. If I had one word to define the word apostle, I mean, it's a, there's lots, it's a heavy loaded scriptural word. It basically means that somebody is an official representative of the kingdom of God and they're coming to give the message of the kingdom of God to the rest of the world so that the world would become followers of Jesus. 
The best word, one word that I can come up with for apostle is the word ambassador. An ambassador. And I love that word because it carries dignity with it. If you're an ambassador, you are carrying the, the, you're carrying your country with you. You're representing your nation to another nation. You're representing the will of your leader of your country. And in this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So those apostles were going to carry on the message of the kingdom of God to the rest of the world. So who did he choose? Well, you know the names. Simon became Peter. And then there's Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Simon called the zealot. And by the way, I always read this. When you read the word zealot, doesn't it say, well, I'm glad he had somebody that was zealous for the kingdom of God. He even said he was a zealot. No, zealot is a revolutionary. Zealot, <laughs> I hate to say it, zealot, if I put it in 2020 terms, would be like a card-carrying member of Antifa, right? That, he wanted the overthrow of the current government, and he wanted to bring in a different government, right? That's who Jesus called to be on his team. Four fishermen, a tax collector, a revolutionary. We don't know what some of the other positions are. If you ever watched that, the series called The Chosen, do you remember who Thomas was? He was like a caterer. Because Thomas and his either wife or girlfriend, they were catering the wedding in Cana of Galilee in that show, The Chosen. You guys remember that? Anybody nodding their head? You don't know The Chosen? Please watch The Chosen. It's a wonderful series, and it's free, and it's online. Okay. So now we're going to, back to Jesus and making his decisions. Twelve ordinary men. These men were uneducated. They had no formal rabbinical training, and yet they carried the Spirit of Jesus in them, the Holy Spirit. Uh, they changed the world. One thing they had in common that a lot of followers of Jesus don't have, a lot of people who say, anyway, that they're followers of Jesus— when Jesus said to do something, they did it. They said, yes, Lord. Well, actually, the only time that I can remember that Peter didn't do something that Jesus said was, uh, Jesus said, hey, guess what? I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to betray me into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But on the third day, third day, I'll raise from the dead. And Peter said, no, Lord. Just remember, no, comma, Lord it, it makes no sense in the Christian faith. You cannot call Jesus Lord of your life and say no to him. You can only say, yes, Lord. You can say, I don't understand, Lord. You say, can I get a time out, Lord? I mean, maybe you can do other things, but you cannot really say in good conscience as a follower of Christ, no, Lord. These guys changed the world partially because whenever Jesus told them to do something, like go and make disciples of all nations, they did it. And, and we have to commend them for that because the church is still here today because of it. Yet, these 12 ordinary men, the, the apostles, they boldly preached when they filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They stood up to persecution. You remember Peter and John standing up to the Jewish high council when they told them to stop speaking out in the name of Jesus? And Peter said, we cannot stop um, saying and speaking about what we've seen and heard. Um, in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, the, the high council, looked at Peter and John. They knew that they were ordinary, uneducated fishermen from Galilee. And yet they said, they, Luke says in, in the book of Acts, they made this one comment. Yet they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was the difference. 
You know, Peter's carrying away in fear on the night Jesus is betrayed. I don't know him. I don't know him. What are you talking about? I don't know him. Rooster crows three times. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Now Peter is standing up bold as a lion on the day of Pentecost. Now Peter is like, I won't back down. Peter was the original writer of that Tom Petty song. I won't back down. You can back me up to the gates of hell, and I won't back down. He won't stop speaking about Jesus being Lord and Messiah. They gave their lives as martyrs, these 12 ordinary men. None of them recanted, saying that Jesus was not really Messiah and Lord. None of them denied the fact that they said they had seen him bodily risen from the dead on many an occasion. Every one of, their, every one of those apostles, except for the apostle John, gave their lives uh, testifying to the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So, that's Jesus' model for us. He made an, a hugely important decision that was prefaced by praying all night to God. So now we turn it to us and you say, okay, in imitation of Jesus, how can we make right decisions? How can we follow our Lord and do our best to make the right decisions? Well, number one, let's get direction from God, right? If, you're, if you want to say, if you want to do the uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and Gary, by the way, that was an awesome scripture to quote. Gary and Patty were there with us uh, last Sunday night when we ordained Troy Tisthammer into the ministry. It was a great service, um, very meaningful. Troy did an awesome job giving a word <laughs> afterwards. Kept his mask on the whole time. That was the only thing that was like, why do you do that? You don't have to. But he did it, you know, and, and he was being you know, conscious and respectful to all the rest of us. But the one scripture I remember was, Gary, we were praying over Troy that God would bless him in his future ministry. And Gary brought out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? It's a scripture known to a lot of us, right? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, Right? What a great, that for Christians, now it's an Old Testament proverb, but what a great passage for Christ followers to say, my job in life is not to trust only in myself. My job in life is not to rely on myself. I, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't know as much as God knows. I'm not omniscient. I don't see the end from the beginning. I don't know the ramifications of my decisions. I need to get direction from God. And you know what? So do you. So, if you're, ready, if you're ready to get direction from God, here are five steps. Number one, we're to get God's direction, and how does God give us direction? Now, some of you, back in the day, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was in the 1990s, we, our church, did this huge discipleship program. We went through a very thick workbook by Henry Blackaby, and it was called Experiencing God. Has anybody ever gone through that? Wonderful material. Experiencing God... On there, Blackaby says there are basically four ways that God gives us direction in our lives to Christians, to Christ followers. Four ways that God leads us in the way that, that he wants us to go so that we won't rely on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we'll follow him and he'll direct our paths, right? So we get direction from God, first of all, from his word, the Bible, right? You remember in Psalm 119, uh, Amy Grant had that song, Back in the 80s, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? God's word is a lamp to my feet. What I always remember on the teaching from that is in the, in the time it was written, 
a lamp or a light did not, it didn't carry a huge light like the light does today. It can only carry a little, uh, a little light and a little light shown in front of that lamp a few feet ahead of a person. So if a person is walking along, you're only going to see a few feet ahead of you. What does that mean? That means that if God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, every step I take, I need to, I need to keep saying, Lord, would you continue to, to, to direct my path? Would you continue to show me the way that you want to go? You can't just get a five-year, you know, one plan from God and say, that's it, God. I don't need to check in with you for another five years because I already got the game plan. He wants you to daily check in with him. He wants you to declare your dependence on him. He will direct your paths, but daily, right? Daily he'll do that. We get direction from God from following his word. We get direction from God through prayer, through talking with God. There are times when you receive something from God that you would not have received other than praying with him. Sometimes I think God combines those two. In fact, that's one reason why we want to have a daily devotional with God, a daily quiet time with God where we read his word, where we pray with him. Say, Lord, based upon the scripture that I just read, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to start doing? that I haven't been doing that you think I should be doing? Is there anything you want me to stop doing? Did I just read about a sin? And as I was reading about this list of sins and things that, that don't please you, is there anything that I'm doing in my life, an attitude that I have that, that would reflect this sin? God, please help me stop doing that. You see how God leads us between the, but combining the Word of God and with prayer. So we get God's Word, we get His prayer, we also find God can lead us through circumstances. Um, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, one of the churches, and I think it's Philadelphia, Jesus says to the church, he says, See, I have set before you an open door. Right? You guys ever heard of the term, an open door of opportunity? Right? Or opportunity knocks. When opportunity knocks, you better answer. Right? This idea of sometimes in circumstances you get an opportunity. Somebody calls you up and says, hey, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I got a great job opportunity, right? We were just talking with Hannah between the services. Hannah just took a new job uh, in a startup company because somebody thought of her, called up and said, would you like to join us in this new venture? So there's an opportunity and she's saying yes to that. Sometimes it's an opportunity for a job, a career. Sometimes you, it's an opportunity like somebody to start dating. Like the person says, hey, I got this uh, friend who's got a sister and she's not married and uh, she's really nice and uh, she would like to meet you. You know, is that an open door of opportunity? I don't know. I mean, it depends, <laughs> uh, depends on a lot of other things, but it could be, right? It could be an open door of opportunity. So then you have to combine the circumstances with God's word leading your life and with prayer and also with the fourth way that God leads us and gives us directions, and that is through the church. Now, that's one reason, folks, why it's good for us to gather together, right? It says we should not stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, according to Hebrews chapter 10, but we should be gathered together regularly so we can encourage one another as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return approaching. So we gather together. There are things that you get from other Christians around you and being around them that you could never get on your own. 
If you're to love one another, if you're to encourage one another, if you're to pray for one another, if you're to carry one another's burdens, you can't do that sitting at home watching online church. And I know, folks, if you're watching online church, I didn't mean to put you on a guilt trip. Some of you guys go on a guilt trip real easily, and you probably just started one. But that's not my intent. My, my intent is saying there is a purpose why God has us gather together in live worship and in our life groups and our small groups that meet during the week because we are able to get the counsel, the wisdom, sometimes the advice of other Christ followers. Sometimes God is going to use you to influence somebody else who's saying, I'm looking for advice, I'm looking for direction, I don't know what to do in this situation. And in counsel with you, another believer, you help them find the right path. There, there are many ways that God gives us good direction in life, and, that, and that's one of them. So the first step in getting and making good decision as a Christian is get direction from God. The second step is to dig out the relevant information. Now, this is just plain research. This is the idea of, I don't know what I don't know, or I think I know what I need to learn. And you need to go find, you need to figure out what you need to know and where to find it. And some, sometimes for me, it's not going to Google. Sometimes it's not going to the encyclopedia. Sometimes it's not going to a library to find out what I need to find out. Sometimes in your own mind, you say, Lord, who knows what I don't know? Who knows this area that I'm exploring I need to make a decision on? And find somebody who has wisdom and experience in that area. Go to that person. Like my son-in-law, Craig, right? So we're at home and um, we changed our Wi-Fi. We, we had Xfinity. Now we have AT&T because we got a deal. But we had no idea what the consequences are for changing your Wi-Fi. Because that means every single device in your home. You know, we're thinking like, oh, good, you know, my computer, my laptop. Yep, got to change your, your Wi-Fi, get the new password in there. Bingo, bango, you're up and running. Oh, yeah, but what about your phones? What about your tablets? What about anything else? What about, you know, we ended up finding our, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge was our Google. We have this Google Nest thing that's in the kitchen, this Nest Hub. Hey, Google, play Lincoln Brewster music. Okay, I found one on YouTube, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? So uh, we have that at home, and it's really cool, but, what, but the problem is the Google was set up to our old Wi-Fi. And so the Google fires up, and it, re it tries to find the old Wi-Fi, which is now dead, because it's been disconnected, and the new Wi-Fi came on. It doesn't automatically search for the new Wi-Fi. It's not like your laptop computer. So it's dead in the water. And so I get out my, my phone, and I say, okay, Google Home, how do you do all this? I spent two days, about eight different tries. I didn't break anything. I didn't throw anything. So I had enough self-control. But when our son-in-law showed up at our house, it was like, Craig, Craig, you got to help us out here. So... So he spent almost as much time or more than I did, but he, he is that guy, he's, he's a guy with a do, like a dog on a bone. He just will not quit. I get frustrated with things that don't work, and I just go, I guess, I guess we won't have Google at home now. You know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I've resigned to live life without it. And, and Craig's like, nope, I've just found out 42 different ways that it doesn't work but there's got to be another way that actually will work. And he did. And it wasn't without effort. So God bless him. I owe Craig big time. I bought him a can of tennis balls, but that's not enough. 
All right, so what wisdom can you glean from somebody who knows, right? So you go to God, you dig out re relevant information, sometimes from sources, sometimes from people. Three, four, and five on your steps is, is the third one is you are to deliberate. Sometimes it's just to reflect. Okay, based upon what I've learned, based upon the opportunities, based upon advice I've gotten from godly people, based upon my time with God in prayer and reading His Word, what do you think is the best decision, right? Sometimes in reflection, I will ask this question. I will say, what are the benefits? Like if I make this decision, what are the benefits? What are the good things that could happen if I make this decision? And then you flip the coin. You say, well, what are some of the bad things that might happen if I make this decision, right? Sometimes it's the, quote, the law of unintended consequences. America, do you, do you think we are living right now a little bit of the law of unintended consequences? Hey, we got to flatten the curve on this coronavirus. So everybody shelter in place. Get your masks up. You know, start, start dehumidity or whatever. Purifying your home, all that stuff. So we do all that. Two weeks later, oh, well, we, gotta, we, we need to keep flattening the curve. It's worked so far. We need to keep it working again. More weeks, more weeks, more weeks. And the unintended consequences, alcoholism has gone up. Domestic violence has gone up at home. Drug abuse has gone up. Teenage depression has gone up. Suicides have gone up. I read a statistic, I don't know when it was, sometime during the month of May, I believe, where the number of suicides in California now exceeded the number of deaths from coronavirus. And I, and I, I don't share that to say, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm right and every, somebody's wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it to say that. What I'm saying is, there are consequences of your decisions that you make. And sometimes you don't realize what the consequences are until the decision is made. So being able to deliberate and reflect, sometimes sleeping on it. That's why I'm not the all-night prayer person. Sometimes like, you know what I need to do? I need to sleep on it. <laughs> and you wake up the next morning and I'm like the etch-a-sketch guy. You know, whatever problems I had the night before, during the night, and I wake up with a blank slate, and life is good. This is the day the Lord has made, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And His mercies are new every morning, and I take that verse very literally because I need them every morning, right? So I, t I take God at His word and, and be able to deliberate that and to try to make a good decision, sometimes sleeping on it. Number four is really interesting. It's, it, it's in, the, in the process of making a decision, and they've done the, they've had surveys and interviews with some of the top leaders around the country. Most of them say this. They never had, for any of their major decisions they made, they never had 100% information. Because if you had 100% of the information, you would be God. You would be, all, you would be sovereign and you would be omniscient and you would know every in and out of the decision. You would know all the consequences. And of course, you'd make a right decision all the time. That's why God is perfect and we're not. But most of these leaders say the most they ever had was about 80% of the information that they wanted in order to make a decision. But sometimes the decision can't wait. Sometimes you can't keep putting it off. You know, if I have a fault in decision making, it's I'm, I'm the guy that says, ready, fire, aim. You know, I, I would rather just make a decision and then see where we're at and see what kind of alternative decision needs to be made after that. Some people, on the other hand, they're the procrastinators, right? How many of you guys are maybe in the procrastinators club? If I don't have to, if I don't have to make the decision, you know, never decide today what you can put off till tomorrow. 
<laughs> right? So, so some of you guys wait too long to make a decision. Some of you guys have lost an opportunity because you've waited too long on a decision. So there is some wisdom in, in when the decision has to be made. Number five is one of my favorites because I told you this earlier. I, I believe sometimes the follow-up decision is as important, if not more, than the, the decision itself. What are the effects of your decision, right? So you make a decision. Okay, this is the way we're going to go. Act. Or what does is, what is, uh, Captain Picard say on Star Trek? Execute. Or something like that. So, and nobody dies, so it's really cool. Um, so you, you make their decision, and then you say, okay, so what are the consequences? What has happened a week later or two weeks later? And do we need to make a course correction? Do we may need to make a dial turn? Or do we just say that was a terrible decision and try to, try to take it back? So sometimes, in all wisdom, the most important decision is the second decision, right? So you, you get direction from God through reading his word, through prayer, through circumstances, through the rest of the body of Christ, the church. Uh, you deliberate, you, you gather your information, you decide, and then you finally evaluate. So uh, in, this is sort of to put it all together, right? And number five, you get direction, you dig out the information, you evaluate the pros and cons, you try to gather as much information, but realize you're never going to have 100% information then you make a decision, you put it into motion, and then you examine your decision to see if you need to make any adjustments or corrections and what were the results. So in a nutshell, I mean, there's lots of other points you could say in making wise decisions, but in following Jesus, there, there's some good paths to go on because Jesus sought the direction of his father. He sought his father's counsel, making one of the most important decisions of his life. We go back to the scripture for us today, and that is this, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean only. Do not say, I know enough, I have enough experience, I've got what it takes, whatever. That's just your ego talking, your pride talking. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what is his promise? He will direct your paths. You know, I, I don't know if you're ready to do that. You know, to become a Christ follower, you have to live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. To become a real follower of Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just say, believe in me, believe that I'm the Son of God, believe that I came from heaven, believe that I died on the cross, believe that I'm going, that I'm going to come again to make this world right where in Revelation it says the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said all that, and you can believe it in your mind, but Jesus said you can't just stop by believing it in your mind. You have to become a follower because Jesus said, follow me. And there's a difference between mental acknowledgement of who Jesus is and saying, I submit the will of my life. I'm giving the future of my life. I'm letting Jesus be the leader of my life. That's what it means when it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Have you done that? And if you haven't done that yet, are you ready to do that today? Seeing Jesus in plain sight is seeing him for who he really is. And he says, now that you know who I am, I'm asking you to follow me. Let's pray. 
Dear God, Lord, today we do not want to lean on our own understanding. We want you to direct our lives. Lord, your word tells us that in you, Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so today, we're not going to lean on our own understanding. We're not going to trust in ourselves anymore. Lord, we're going to put our faith in you. We're going to trust in you. You said, blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. Lord, we seek that blessing from you. And so, Lord, come into our lives. Save us from our sins. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, we agree today, we declare that we will be your followers forever from this day forward. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can get direction from you. So every day we can follow the right path, being in step with you, being in communion with you. Lord, help us to do that because Lord, we all want to make good decisions in our lives. We want to make God honoring Christ-exalting, elevating decisions that make you look good, that point people to you as the Lord and Savior of this world. So, Lord, help us. Give us your direction and your wisdom as we seek you for the counsel that we need in order to make the right decisions in our lives. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.